0: It's good to see you guys. Sorry I'm late on turning the mic on there. Well, uh it's uh almost the end of May. What are we gonna do? Let's have a service Sunday. How about that? You wanna do that? We have Service Sunday next week. Do you know that? Do you know what Service Sunday is? Some of you new people don't know what Service Sunday is. No. You're not excited. I will. Thank you. So Serve Sunday, years ago, we decided as a church, we decided as a as our as the pastors of our church decided that <clears throat> we wanted we wanted to be a church that you know made a difference in our community. Kind of that Jeremiah twenty-nine thing not the one that everybody always quotes, but the, the, the whole of that passage where it talks about that, you know, that wherever we would be, that that place would be a better place because of that. Um, and we want our church to be, that, that to be true of our church in this community. And so we talked about what's it look like for us to begin to serve our community? How could we actively, not talk about it, not lip service, but actively like do things and set... Uh, you know, uh, an example of, of what it looks like for us to serve one another and serve others and all those things. And so we talked about putting our money where our mouth is, that so when can we mobilize the most people at a time, uh, and we came up with Sunday morning. We're like, oh, well, you know, we could do something on Sunday morning. And we're like, well, you know, why? Don't we? and we even, we even talked, like, why don't people do more things on Sunday morning outside of just worshiping together? We could worship together and we could serve. You know, and, and it, we determined that part of that was because most churches probably aren't willing to give up that Sunday morning offering, uh, just to be honest. Uh, but we said, you know what, uh, whatever whatever the hit is, it's worth taking for us as a body of believers to be about serving the community. And so uh, Serve Sunday, which is next Sunday, uh, we uh, have one service at 9 o'clock. Now, I know some of you ten forty are going to struggle with that. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry. But... Uh, it is it, it is what it is, and so we, we we gather for a short shorter service at 9 a.m., and then we send everybody out in teams to go serve our community. And there is all kinds of stuff going on. In fact, I'm I'm asking you when you leave here today, get signed up. There's a table out there in the foyer. Uh, Ann will be out there with uh, some of her cronies or whatever, and uh, they'll help they'll help you get signed up um, uh, for Serve Sunday. And there's all kinds of projects. All kinds of projects. Uh, and most of the projects that we have are actually family friendly. You can bring your kids along. Uh, if you don't want Kids. We have childcare. You can sign up for that out there as well. Uh, all the things, but make sure that you get on the docket for Serve Sunday next week. We're going, to, here, here's one of the cool things I, I love about this Serve Sunday. No, normally speaking, we go and we serve all kinds of people in the community schools and uh, all kinds of other institutions and families and people's neighbors that maybe don't even go to church or know Jesus or whatever it is. Uh, we love doing that stuff. Here, we're doing that stuff and this time, and we're also getting to serve uh people in our own congregation. We've had had several people in our congregation over the last year uh have some crazy health crisis come up in their lives. And so uh we're going to be able to help and serve uh some of those families next week which is awesome. But you gotta sign up. And if you don't sign up, I can promise you Ann Saylor is gonna be twitching by the end of the day. So make sure that when you leave here you get signed up because we don't need her twitching. Uh, she's perfect Anne and we like her the way she is and we don't want her you know getting in all that so uh, serve Sunday next week 9 a.m okay 9 am. come ready to ready to go and ready to serve others and uh, it will be awesome great opportunity to get to hang out with other people and get to know some new people too so uh, but uh, yeah that's all happening next week all right let's uh, let's jump into uh, the scriptures today if you've got a Bible with you we're going to first Samuel chapter 18 if you don't have a Bible, we have ushers who have Bibles, and they will walk the aisle to bring you a Bible. Now, when I say walk the aisle, I'm not talking about getting married or anything, we're just talking about bringing you a Bible. So, uh, But uh, uh, anyway, we'd love for you to get a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one considered a gift. We'd love for you to have it. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, today we're picking up uh, in our series on David, and I love David. One of the things I love about David is... Is that we see a guy who is us? He's he's a sinner, you know. He's he's perfect. He makes mistakes, kind of like this. Mike is kind of doing so. Just hang in here with me. We actually changed a thing on it in the last service, so I'm not sure why, but I know they're trying to figure it out. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, you know the thing about David is that we see God anoint him to do great things for the kingdom. And, you know, I, I, I personally, sometimes I, I feel like that if God was going to choose me, you know, the Lord's calling. When it's that loud, I can't ignore it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I feel like if the Lord chose me to do some great, amazing thing, I would get a little cocky about that. And David, we see David, plenty of opportunity to do that, but he doesn't. And we're going to see some of that as we go through uh, this passage today. Don't know if I can do anything to help that. I'm not sure. Let me push on things for a minute. Maybe that will help. I don't know. Uh, but in this passage that we're going to look at today, we see David and we're introducing somebody else. Now, we've already been talking about King Saul. King Saul is the king, but David has been anointed by God to be the king. And so, But instead of David showing up on the scene and being like, hey Saul, you're out, God called me to be the king, you got to go, I'm, I'm the man, you know, kind of deal. Instead of that, instead have this situation where David humbly under King Saul's service throughout this whole passage and for some time to come. Uh, And In fact, I'm going to challenge you as you go today, uh, we're not going to be able to cover everything going on between King Saul and David in this kind of little time period here, but I'm wetting your whistle with the first part of chapter 18. I'm going to challenge you to finish chapter 18 and also read the next several chapters. Read the next three chapters or so in 1 Samuel, uh, maybe 19 through 23, something like that. And uh, and you'll see this continuing story of what's going on between David and Saul. But now, verse eight, chapter eighteen brings in somebody new. Well, we've seen him actually a little bit before this, uh, but it is the son of King Saul, and his name is Jonathan. And David and Jonathan become like best buddies, and this is this is really to the whole story of what's going on and what God is doing, because God begins to use Jonathan and David's life in great and major ways, despite the fact that his dad is King Saul. So, let's just go with 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 1, and it says this, it says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, so this is, this is a kind of a huge kind of jumping off point here. Uh, as as David and Saul are talking, and uh, Jonathan and Saul are talking, and you know he finished speaking to Saul, and the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Real fast, we see David and David and Jonathan become like so tight and so close. We'll continue to see that verse two. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So now King Saul is saying, uh, you know, to David, hey, you can't go back, you're here. Like, we're keeping you here, you knocked out the giant, you've done all these things, I want to have you around, there's no getting out of here, you stay here, don't go back to your dad's house. That's what's happening there. Verse 3, picks up and says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan stripped him of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the was good. Good in the side. It'll 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 come. It's coming. I had to turn it on. So thank you. Appreciate that, guys. Um away. (laughs) and this was good (laughs) in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Let's stop there for a second because we we see a lot here. First of all, back in verse 4 and and on from there, we see Jonathan literally stripping off like all of his stuff to give to David. Now this is this is pretty symbolic, and and it's and it's moving in a direction of basically Jonathan is already feeling led and being led to say, You're the guy, I am not. Now, here's why this is important. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Jonathan was the firstborn son. So, when King Saul would have died or gotten killed or whatever was going to happen in his life, then Jonathan would have been the man, right? You know, and so because of that, we have this situation where Jonathan is is moved by the Lord in such a way. That he says to David, You take all my stuff. He starts, he starts, he gives him his armor, he gives him his bow, he gives him, you know, his weapons, all, this, all this stuff. And basically, what he's doing is he's beginning the process of saying, You're going to be the guy, not me. That's a huge deal. Imagine, like, being the guy who's going to be, you know, get the inheritance and get to be the man, and just saying to somebody else, You know what? I think you're the man. You can have it all. And gives it all to him. Furthermore, we see the ladies singing songs about King Saul and David. Now, this is, this is all fine and good. The ladies love David. They don't love Saul as much. And in their song, if you noticed in verse 7, they sang, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, this is, this is a little bit of a jab. This is a little bit hurtful toward King Saul. In fact, let's just look and see how King Saul handles this moment of hearing this song from the ladies. Verse 8, it says, And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he give, can he have, I'm sorry, but the kingdom. And so in this moment, he's saying, what more could David get at this point other than to actually be the king and to be in control of the kingdom? So Saul is just continuing this, this same thing of what we've seen him already doing where he is so like wrapped up in himself and in what he thinks people think about him and all of this stuff. Does this sound familiar? I mean, we all struggle with this at some point in time in our lives, Right. All struggle with what other people think, wrapped up in ourselves, our own agenda, our own thing, all this. And here's King Saul, and that's exactly where he's at. And then you've got David. And David is anointed by the Lord, and he's letting the Lord lead him. And the Lord is speaking to him, and the Lord is using him in such amazing ways, like it continues through. We're going to see here in just a minute that that you know this is that the Lord's just on David and he's with David in this huge huge way let's just read that together verse 9 it goes on it says and Saul eyed David from that day on he eyed him all right and in verse 10 it says the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within the house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day because you see David was still humbling himself not just to the Lord but under the leadership in which God had put him under. Now, I don't know if you've ever been under leadership that you've really struggled with, but you know God put you there, and you know that you're supposed to come under it, and you struggle with it. I've been there. I have been through that. It is hard. Those are hard moments. Here we see David setting an example for us. He's not just, he's not just King Saul's like army guy who's like going and defeating all these people and doing all these things. He's still his like personal musician, so that he'll play the lyre. So that when King Saul's not having a good day, bring David in and let him play the lyre and play that favorite tune of his. We will rock you or whatever, you know. And so David comes in, he's playing the lyres. He did day by day, and it said Saul still in verse ten. Saul had his spear in his hand. Uh oh. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul is not playing pin the tail on the donkey. He's trying to kill David. And apparently tried to do so twice in which David got away. Now this isn't, this isn't the last time or the last times this will happen. This becomes a theme in David's life. The whole Saul had his eye on him is now Saul is got it in his mind he's going to try to kill him. And in verse 12 it goes on, it says, So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Now here's, here's the crazy part of this verse to me. I, I love this verse uh, because it, it shows like the, the power of God playing out in somebody's life. And, and somebody also that is also very powerful around him that you would think you know, would be able to overcome somebody in a moment if they wanted to, but he can't seem to. And not only can he not seem to, but Saul is literally in fear of David at this point. Why? Is it because he's the greatest like, you know, military guy in the world? He's probably really great at that. We know that for sure. But no, it's because the Lord was with him. Saul was a guy who believed in the Lord, and here he is. He's come full circle, and it just shows you like our depravity. It just shows like how far sometimes sin will lead us down a road that we didn't know that we were going to go down. It's it, it's kind of that you know uh, you know sin will you know take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay, you know kind of deal. And that's kind of where Saul's at at this point in his life. Like his life is all about himself, and even when it's about his kingdom, it's still about him. And here a guy that believes in the Lord is now afraid of David because he knows the Lord is with him. And I'm thinking, if I know somebody that's close to me, that the Lord is with them in such an amazing way that whenever they go and do anything, that the Lord would use them to do all these great things, I'm thinking, I want to hang out with that guy. I want to learn from that guy. I want that guy to disciple me, you know? And instead, He's afraid. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Hmm. Verse 13, "...so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him." But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So, the story continues on where we see Saul just to this point of like, well, i got to get this guy out of here. Everybody's falling in love with David. They think he's like the greatest thing ever, you know. And, and we got, we got to do something with this guy. Let's get, him, let's get him out of the way and we'll put him over some guys and they can go fight some wars and all that kind of stuff. But even there, and this is, this is how God works, even there you take somebody that, that the Lord's hand is on them and God is using them to do great things, you can pluck them out of something and stick them somewhere else and guess what, the light is going to shine. And it did. And God continued to work through David and it says in verse fourteen, and his success and all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And in verse fifteen, and when Saul saw he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. So now he's like, like, the fear is growing now in Saul. He's like, you know, this guy's got something I don't have, you know. But again, he's he's so like bent on himself, and his life is all about himself, uh, you know, that he can't see what's right in front of him. That the Lord is working through this guy has a plan for this guy. And amazingly enough, you know, again you're going back to this understanding that here he is, David humbling himself underneath the leadership of Saul even after murder attempts. Even after murder attempts, Saul is st- uh, David is still like, okay, well I'm, you know, I'm still supposed to play the liar, <laughs> you know, so, still still supposed to, you know, serve in his armies. He's serving in his army. I mean, you think, you know, I'm not going to serve in this guy's army. He just tried to kill me twice. You know? Saul becomes mega jealous. The song from the ladies doesn't help. That tends to be a point of contention for Saul to hear them singing David's praises and not so much of his. And Saul becomes afraid because he realizes that the Lord is with him and not with himself. Saul was consumed with himself. He was not consumed with God's kingdom or even his people. He was just consumed with him and whatever he could get from this life. If you remember, when David defeats the giant, there was a promise for whoever defeated the giant. If you remember, part of the promise from King Saul was you get to one of my daughters. First of all, that's that's a clue that that guy's off his rocker, you know, but whatever. And that's the way things happened back then a lot, especially with royal families and all these things. And so he promised a daughter to be married to whoever would defeat Goliath. Well, David defeats Goliath, and so, you know, where's the daughter? Well, if you keep reading, and this is why I'm encouraging you to read, you know, through these next few chapters. But if you just read even through the end of chapter 18, you will see that the daughter comes, and so the daughter is presented to David, and he's going to marry her. And then somewhere in there, Saul, like yanks the rug out from under David, and is like, eh, "I'm going to let her marry somebody else." I was like, "Okay, well, that's kind of a slight, you know." And it's and what it is is it's Saul like trying to like you know show that he's got some power over David, and yeah, David, you think you're the guy, well, I'm the guy, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so, but then, there's another daughter, and he notices daughter number two making eyes at David, and he sees David liking that, and he's like, oh, here's an opportunity. And so he takes this opportunity to say, okay, well, you can marry daughter number two, but... You have to bring me the foreskins of 200 Philistines. Now I'm going to let you work all that out in your mind. And I'm just going to simply say, the purpose in this is Saul is trying to get David killed. That's that's the point of this. But of course, David being anointed by the Lord and now given a conquest and he's under that leadership... What's he do? He goes and he delivers. And so then, he gets to marry this daughter. Now, really, this is just another murder attempt. And truthfully, if we're being real honest, we actually see David pull this later in his life when he's a king on someone else. We'll get to that in the weeks ahead. Saul was an example of, of what it looks like when you're fighting against the Lord. It's always an example of what it looks like to fight against the Lord. Now then you've got Jonathan. Let's talk about Jonathan for just a second. Jonathan had become a huge fan of David. They become best buddies. He said loved David as his own soul, right? And then firstborn of the king would have had the rights to become the king heir to the throne, is willing to give up the throne, and we see in the chapters ahead, he does literally give to David, like, you are the guy, and like, not just here's some of my stuff, but like you are going to be the guy, and I am not, I'm not supposed to be. And he's willing to give up the throne, and we see Jonathan fully surrendered to the Lord. Now, how, how different are the lives of Saul and Jonathan? That we see a, a, a father and a son, and to the point that we actually see Jonathan in the days ahead begin to be more faithful to David than his own father. He still loves his father, but we see something develop. So, first of all, we see, to, to recap here, we see Saul in as a great example of fighting against the Lord. We see Jonathan as a great example of somebody surrendering completely to the Lord. And then thirdly, we see God using Jonathan in David's life to bring him this important person in his life that he really needed, a friend. A friend. Did you know that you need a friend? Did you know that we need friends? Now this is a struggle in this day and age, because I know for a fact that a lot of people really struggle with do they have friends or not? And I, I see, I see even see posts on social media toward it and things like that. And and I'll just I'll just go ahead and put myself out there. There have been moments in my life, even in not so far past of my life, that I have personally struggled with whether or not I have friends. Now. I say that and say this, when I get to that lonely spot where I begin to believe that I don't have close friends or people that really care, whatever, I, when, if my head is screwed on straight in any such way toward the Lord, I quickly realize I am believing a lie. But that lie exists because Satan wants us to believe that no one cares about us, which is not true. But he uses that against men. He uses that against women. I see it constantly being used in the lives of so many people that I know have so many people around their lives. Folks, I've done funeral services twice this year for people that have committed suicide. I know personally more people that have made suicide attempts or been affected by suicide over the last 12 months. You don't get there overnight... But you get there believing in a lie. And the reason that Satan wants us to believe that lie is because he wants to destroy us. We have friends. I have friends. I know I have people that care about me. You want to know how I know? When I need to move. There are people that show up to help me. If you want to, if you want to test who your friends are, Tell them you got to move, right? Tell them you got to move. And here's the truth I just feel sorry for my friends when I have to move. That's just the truth of it. Like, I, I just feel bad for them that they're my friend and that they really care for me, that they have to help me deal with this junk, you know? Jonathan becomes more loyal to David than even his own father. We see this. I mean, like, this plays out. Like, there, there becomes moments here where Jonathan is like a spy for David to know what's going on with Saul and what Saul is saying. They end up fighting together. Talking about Saul and David, uh, David and uh, Jonathan. They, they end up fighting together in war. They end up crying together. They become close, close best friends. B-F-F. He gives him the right to the throne. Which, funny enough, has already been given to him by the Lord. How amazing is that? How amazing is it that God works out those things? Uh, ima- let's just play this out. Imagine, imagine that you're Jonathan and you don't want to give up the throne, but you've become great friends with David. And David's like, well, you know, the Lord's anointed me to be the king. God gives gives Jonathan and David this blessing of giving Jonathan this peace in his heart to give the throne to David. The Lord had already given the throne to David. But he's protecting their friendship, he's protecting this something special that they have in their lives. Folks, we need people in our lives, we need friends. You think you don't, uh, you're buying a lie. Okay, and and eventually one day Satan's just going to use that in your life for you to start believing that there is nobody that cares for you. And I just encourage you that God brings us people into our lives, and a lot of those people also struggle with this same thing and feel this way sometimes. And let me just tell you what. Sometimes we need to be the ones to reach out. Most of the time, we need to be the ones to reach out for those people to be a part of our lives as supporters and encouragers that we could be that for them too. That's the way God designed us, needing that. James 4, I just I just have to read part of this James 4. It James 4 is like it's talking about Saul and David. I want you to I want you to read this with me. James 4 verse 1, and I'm just gonna, I'm going to read fast. It says what quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm talking about worldly passions here. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit, and he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace, praise God. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded you wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you that is david that is david verse 7 submit yourselves before that, "...submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you." That is David. And the opposite of that, everything in that, scri- in that passage right there, the opposite of that describes Saul. Right down to the murder, right down to the, the proud, right down to the you know, coveting, all this. You know, he's like, oh, won't they sing songs about me killing the ten thousands? You know? It's surrendering, submitting yourself to God, verse 7, is surrendering ourselves to God. And the truth is is that we struggle with surrendering ourselves to God like we see David and Jonathan doing in this passage. Why do we we struggle with surrendering ourselves to God? We struggle with it because it doesn't line up with our plans, right? And we've got these plans that we've made. And and maybe we're even already so far into our plans, we're like, oh, I can't back out now. It's going to be a mess. Huh. You want a mess? Keep going. You'll be where Saul is. You see that? I mean, you see what happened. Like Saul was following the Lord at one point in his life, and at some point, it all became about him. And he quit surrendering to the Lord, and he made it all about himself. But folks, the truth is this, that God has a plan. He had a plan for David uh, from the beginning. You're anointed to be the king. That's great. Okay, now you're going to become best, best friends with the son of the king, who is supposed to be the king, but you know what? You guys are going to be such great friends, and God's going to work on his heart so much, and he's so surrendered to the Lord that he's like, well, you know what? I don't think I can be the king. You should be the king. and I'm sure David's like, huh, cool. I already knew I was going to be the king, but thanks for, you know, thanks for that. We still get to be friends, hang out, and have a good time. And it all comes down to, are we going to fight against the Lord like Saul? Or are we going to completely surrender to Him like Jonathan? Jonathan and David had completely surrendered. And the best place for us to be today is in the middle of the Father's will. And I'll tell you this. For us today... If you know Jesus, if you've trusted in Him, if you believed in Him to be enough in your life, and I hope that you have, then I pray that you would fully surrender, not just to Him being your Savior, but to Him being your leader, to coming under His authority, to being led by Him in all things throughout life, that God may use you to do great things for His kingdom. Don't fight against. Surrender to. Let's pray.